God had a different plan for my life, turned me around and he sent me to a place that he had prepared and uh, it's been just the, the adventure of a lifetime serving him uh, in, in bringing the gospel to these people in these nations. Today's guest on First Person is Hanu Hauka, and I'm Wayne Shepherd, welcoming you to another edition of this weekly conversation aimed at hearing stories of the transforming work of God in people's lives. I'll introduce you to today's guest in just a few moments. First Person is heard across the U.S. and on many radio stations, as well as other international outlets such as Transworld Radio in the U.K. and, of course, the Internet. We'd love to hear from you this week about this or any program you've heard. The easiest way to reach us is on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash first person interview. And you're also invited to follow our website where you'll find additional information and the broadcast schedule, firstpersoninterview.com. Again, firstpersoninterview.com. Last month, I had the special honor of visiting Moscow and Russia. There were several reasons for the trip, but one was to attend a media conference of Christian professionals looking to sharpen their skills. The conference was put together by Hanu Hauka, the president and CEO of the evangelistic ministry IRRTV, and during one of the session breaks, we sat down to talk. Well, Hanu, we are in Moscow. It seems like I have chased you around the world to get you to join me on the radio. We've known each other for years, but I finally caught up with you in Moscow, of all places. Well, it's uh, it's a real pleasure to to meet you. Of all places, over here, in a in a superpower <clears throat> that needs the gospel uh, very very critically, and uh, we're here for that reason. Hmm. But this is not your home, is it? No, uh, I was uh, born in Finland, and I currently live in Finland. But uh, there's a lot more to my life than that. Of course, uh, I have uh, lived. I was uh, raised in Canada, and so I've lived in Canada for about almost twenty years. And when I reached the age of 20, my church sent me out back to Finland uh, to brush up on my Finnish language and then also to learn, uh, you know, church ministry. Uh, They had the big plan of me coming back to Canada to minister amongst the young people in my home church, which was an immigrant church, a Finnish-speaking church. Well, that never happened. (laughs) God had another idea. God had another idea. Uh, uh, Before I was to return home to Canada from Finland, I uh, went to the Soviet Union I was back in 1974 with a group of Finns, and uh, we went to an underground church service. And uh, at that uh, church service, uh, they asked me to just say a short word of greeting from the West, from Western Christians, and I did. And uh, my translator, um, her name was Laura, uh, she was standing beside me, and as I looked to my right over my shoulder at the translator, it was... uh, what you call uh, love at love first, at first sight. sight, was it? Okay. And uh, <laughs> I don't eat, I don't remember what I said, but she must have been a good translator because there was uh, seemed to be a pretty good reaction. <laughs> anyway, that was the start of our our romance, and uh, it, it took about one and a half years until until uh, we finally did get married in the Soviet Union under the hammer and the sickle. That was the time of Mr. Leonid Brezhnev. He was at the helm in the Soviet Union. Well, Laura's not here. I mean, she's out in the building where we are somewhere. But tell me about her story. How did she come to Christ? Well, it's a miraculous story because uh, at that time in the Soviet Union, she was uh, studying medicine. She was in her third year of her medical studies at the University of Petrozavodsk. And she did not know God. Uh, Her family was divided. Her father was an atheist. Uh, Her mother was a Christian. And she had her own little Bible that she used to read. 
And uh, Laura was not a Christian. Uh, she followed the steps, footsteps of her dad. And while in her, uh, in her third year at, at medical college or university, we, they say, uh, she was uh, to take a course which was called Dialectic Materialism, Scientific Atheism, and just plain language. And uh, every student at Soviet universities was compelled to take that particular course and to pass the final exam. The final exam was based on textbooks, uh, on atheism, of course, uh, very scientifically written. And the last question on the exam was, does God exist? And so Laura decided to, uh, to do a, uh, an objective investigation. She could not just uh, do what most other students did. And that, what they did was uh, they went to the university, they took the exam, and they said God does not exist because that's what the textbook says. Her mother was a living testimony in her home, and uh, she knew that it's not quite that simple. She has to actually research this, research this to find out what the truth really is. And uh, so as she was preparing for a final, final exam, she, was, um, she had these, the, the uh, textbooks on atheism on one side of her desk and her mother's Bible on the other. And as she read the, the, the textbooks on atheism and all that material, uh, subject matter, uh, she, she understood that, the, that everything that was in the textbooks was so intelligently written. It made sense. It seemed to appeal to the intellect. Uh, and it was so convincing. But then she took her mother's Bible and she opened it up to the Psalms and the Proverbs. And she said there was something so profoundly powerful in those scriptures that deeply impacted her heart. And she couldn't describe it. She couldn't wrap her brains around it. What is it in those scriptures? It was the that living word. Speaking to her so powerfully. Yeah. And so a, um, a dilemma actually developed in her spirit, and uh, she figured that there's no way that I can uh, find out where the truth really is unless I do something that I have seen my mother do so many times before. She said when she came back from parties or, or, or from the theater or from the movies with her friends, uh, she'd come home late at night, and as she tiptoed past the little kitchen into her bedroom, her mother would be on her knees praying. And uh, she would hear... Laura would hear her voice being whispered in prayer from the kitchen. And uh, so she said, in this particular moment, I will get on my knees and do what my mother, do what my mother does. I'll pray and see if, if God is there, then he must answer me. And she prayed, God, if you are really there, then you must see that this is a crossroads in my life. I have come to a point uh, which will be a turning point in my life. If you somehow let me know that you are real, then I will make my decision and uh, I will give my life to you. But if I do not receive an answer from you at this point in time right now, then I will get up off my knees, I will go back to the university and tell the professor that you do not exist. And at that moment, she said, there was, it was like a light went on in her little bedroom. The whole room was illuminated with something that she couldn't describe, and a joy started to just fill her, her, you know, her being. And she said that every cell in her body started to rejoice out of some... She said, I wasn't asking for thunder or lightning. I wasn't asking for a miracle, but it was the presence of God so powerful oh, in that room that she got up off her knees and she started to hop up and down. And her father, who was the atheist, he was in the next room, in the living room, little window separating the two rooms, and uh, her father could see her jumping in the bedroom. And so she opened the door and she went over to her father and she said, she hugged her father. Her father was reading a newspaper, hugged her father, says, Father, Father, now I know that God is real. 
And uh, and her father, of course, his expression just had just like died. Uh, he 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 looked at his uh, daughter in, in in bewilderment and and he, and he said, finally, he said, "I knew this would this would happen because your mother was praying." And uh, and so and he knew that all his aspirations concerning his daughter that she would become an eye surgeon came crashing down at that particular moment. And Laura did. She did go back to the university. She went to the professor and she told the professor, I've mastered the, the material, the textbooks. I can answer every question uh, on the exam. But when it comes to the last one, whether God, whether God exists, I have to be truthful. And I believe that he does. I have experienced him. And the professor fell silent, looked at Laura for a long time without saying anything. And then finally, the professor said, don't ever tell anybody what you just told me. Don't ever tell anybody. Don't say a single word of what you have just told me. And you can study at the university and you will graduate and you'll become an eye surgeon. Just don't tell anybody so what you've just said. So if it became said. known that she believed yeah. in God, that was the yeah. kiss, kiss of death for her career. Exactly. And of, but, but of course she was uh, what they would call, she was the the joy of the party. She was actually the, the soul of, of her group. Huh. Uh, you know, the, the girls that she hung out with, they, they actually, they, you know, they considered her the, I don't know what you would call the it. The life of the party. The life of the party. Yeah. And so when they saw this change in her, uh, you know, they said, what's happened to you? You know, I mean, she was happy. She was like, you know, like free, you know, and she was, you know, there was just something that you could see that something had gone on inside her. And uh, she said, yeah, you know, and she started to explain and she told them her story. And of course, the, the, the rumor spread that there's somebody at this university who believes in God. And uh, the KGB finally, of course, heard it, and uh, they got involved. And uh, in after her third year of studies, wait a minute, the KGB simply on the basis of someone professed faith, yes, they got involved in investigating what that's, that was. That, that's correct. What they did was they said you need to choose. They they called her for an interrogation. And they said you need to choose. It's either your studies or God, but not both. You have to decide. And Laura said, if that's the choice, it, it will be God. And she was expelled from the university. What about her dream of becoming an eye surgeon? Well, what happened was God is faithful. And, and, and no sacrifice that we give to God uh, ever goes unanswered by the Lord. And uh, years later, in 1990, 1991, about a year before the Soviet Union collapsed, Laura was on Central Television, which was the biggest television channel on the planet at that time. 300 million viewers, including the Warsaw Pact countries. Uh, and she went on live television and she, it was called the Superbook Party. Uh, she was asked to, to, to deliver a 15 minute message on live television. And she talked about the prodigal son and she told her nation, she said, uh, you have been out in the wilderness of atheism for 70 years. It's time to come, come back home to your, to God, to your father in heaven. And, uh, a million, a million letters came in in response to that program across the nation. She was opening the spiritual eyes of her countrymen. The university said that she couldn't become an eye surgeon, but God said, I have a different plan, which far exceeds, That's right. uh, you, know, That's right. you know, being a, a, an eye surgeon physically. I'm so glad you told me that story. That's the woman that you fell in love with. And she's the one that is, uh, is the heartbeat also uh, of the ministry in many, many ways. Uh, she's, she is the companion that God has entrusted to me, and uh, I'm just eternally grateful for her. Part two of our conversation with Hanu Hauka coming up today, next, here on First Person. 
Next week at this time, our guest will be Bill Blount, who will tell some of his experiences of traveling around the world with various ministries. But he'll also tell the powerful testimony of his late father, who had wealth but found that it did not lead to ultimate happiness. And then one day, his father gave his life to Christ, and everything changed for him and for his family who are benefiting from his legacy today. That's next time on First Person. My guest on First Person today is Hanu Hauka. We are in Moscow. It's a, a January, very cold day as we sit and talk. Now, explain to those listening what brings us together at this church here in central Moscow today. Yes. We have uh, a med- media forum is being conducted in this church. And the media forum is actually uh, a, a getting together, a gathering of media professionals in the realm of television, uh, radio, and uh, social media, the internet. And for two days, we have been listening to speakers, receiving um, instruction as to how to enhance our ministries, how to en- enhance the propagation of the gospel in the great land of Russia, uh, using the instruments of media. And uh, we have uh, people that have come to this conference all the way from Vladivostok, which is about 8,000 miles east. east it's of, as far east as you can get in it, Russia, just about, yes, isn't it? Yes, it's on yeah. the eastern seaboard. It's uh, very close to Alaska. Yeah, it's in very Japan. close. You, that's yeah. right, correct. And uh, we also have people from Kazakhstan, which is Central Asia. They have come to this conference as well to learn and to listen uh, and to charge the batteries. Yeah, right. Well, I came with a group of American men from National Religious Broadcasters. I came also with Far East Broadcasting and Russian Ministries, all organizations that I work with. Uh, you are the chairman of the International Committee for the National Religious Broadcasters, and we can talk about that. But let's uh, let's talk about your ministry, because as you explained earlier, you are a Finn, and yet you're in Russia. Mm-hmm. I know they're close together geographically, but... Culturally, they've got to be far different. What draws you to these countries of the former Soviet Union? Well, Finland does have a a, a 1,500-kilometer joint border with Russia, which is about a 1,000-mile border uh, with Russia. We are neighbors. That is the big brother on this side of the border. Uh, So there is an association right there and a link. Uh, But also, uh, the third language in Finland would be Russian. Yes, sir. It would be Finnish, Swedish, well... Fourth, maybe after English. <laughs> uh, English would be a powerful, a big, strong one, dominant language. Do you speak all those languages? I do, yes. Yeah. I do, yes. And uh, R- Russian would be a, a good fourth. But also, uh, the reason why I'm personally involved uh, in Russia is because of uh, my wife. I would say once we got married, uh, you know, many, many years ago, that was in 76, uh, God opened the door to ministry uh, in the Soviet Union. Media ministry. Media ministry. And, the first, and it was radio for a long time. Uh, because it was the only way to penetrate the Iron Curtain and the only way to get the gospel into the Soviet Union without a lot of harassment. Uh, and back then in the 19, uh, 1980s, when we produced the programs, we used all the uh, Transworld radio transmitters that were available broadcasting into the Soviet Union. We used the Far East broadcasting transmitters, Saipan, uh, the Philippines, uh, South Korea, uh, and the one, I th- and then also the HCJB, uh, HCJB computer. Those were the available means those the in those days. But since then, God has just opened all kinds of doors. What mm-hmm. What is it like today? Uh, what What are you doing media wise in in the, these countries today? Well, we have what we have been doing uh, over the last say ten years in 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 Russia and also in Central Asia and Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, uh, also in the Ukraine. We have been conducting what we call mega city 
media saturation campaigns. That is 30 days of intensive media saturation in a city. At the end of the day, when the 30 days is over, uh, first of all, you'll have thousands and thousands of people who will have called the call center and received a special book called uh, Experiencing the Power to Change. But also, uh, it puts the churches in the city on the map, on the radar. For the first time, a mega city will see that there is a powerful group of churches in, this, in, in their city doing a very, very good work. Uh, reaching out through humanitarian uh, you know, efforts, but also telling them the good news of the gospel, which can uh, uh, restore marriages, restore relationships, free from addictions. It has the power to change people's lives. And for 30 days, they see that on primetime television, primetime radio, they hear it there. They see it on the billboards. They see it in the newspapers, the magazines. They see it uh, at bus stops, inside, outside buses, the trams, and they see it on the internet. It's everywhere for 30 days. Experience the power to change. So in terms of what it would be like in the U.S., you'd be uh, it's like being on all the major networks in the United States well, yes. with that 30-day message. Yeah, what it, what it would mean is, let's say if you're in Dallas or New York and Los Angeles, you, you walk out the door in the morning, there's no way you can avoid the message of the campaign. It'll be pretty well everywhere, visible. Uh, that's, what, that's why we call it saturation. And uh, this is uh, probably one of the best ways that I can think of, of doing the Great Commission in the great cities you know, of Russia and in Central Asia, but not only. Uh, I go back to Bill Bright just for a moment, and uh, Bill Bright said that at, uh, at some point in time, there were 450 mega cities on the planet. That means uh, cities with a population of over a million. 75% of the world's population will be in cities by 2020. Does the church have a strategy to reach the people in their big cities? Mm-hmm. If they don't, the Great Commission will never be finished. Cities in this part of the world that we don't know their names, yep. and yet there are millions and untold millions of people in those cities. Correct. All with a spiritual need. Correct. Do they yes. respond when the campaign comes to town? They do. Uh, over the last 10 years, we have received uh, about over 1 million telephone calls in the cities that we have worked in. Uh the call center has been at many times on overload as they receive calls from people all over the city saying, yes, I do need help. Yes, I do need change. Yes, I need to be freed from addictions or my son or my daughter or my marriage is broken. My marriage needs to be restored. You know, people from all walks of life will call and say, yes, I do need help. And uh, it has been a great ministry. Many churches have reaped uh, the fruits of these campaigns. And, and churches f- are key, aren't they? They are key. We never go into a city unless the churches in that city come together and agree to work together for 30 days to reach the population, the whole population of their city through this campaign. If they do that, we will be there for them. But how do you possibly pay for all of that? Well, it's uh, we, we do we do depend totally on uh, on the Lord, and, and the Lord has raised up people through you know, radio broadcasts and television and through, you know, through the internet where people have asked us about these campaigns and have wanted to come on board, have wanted to contribute. Yeah. I'm sure you could tell me hundreds of stories. Just pick a story and tell me about a person that found um, hope in Jesus Christ because of this saturation campaign? Well, there's there are many. If we choose uh, Russia, if we go to Ufa, for example, which is uh, in the Ural Mountains, we were in that city. I remember I, I personally met five colonels from the Ministry of Justice 
who received Jesus as their savior during that campaign. And one of them was, uh, was very interesting. Actually, two of them were interesting. One was uh, in the Ministry of Justice, the person uh, that had persecuted and signed the documents to persecute Christians under the Soviet you know, system, system yeah. years earlier. And this person was now in, 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 the, in the office that regulated religious activity in the city. Uh, that person came out to a special event during the camp power to change campaign. And uh, when uh, the, the speaker at that particular event said, if there's anyone here who wants to make a decision for Jesus Christ, I would invite you to come up to the platform. And I think to myself, there's about 1,500, 2,000 people in the audience. And he's saying publicly, come on up, you know, in front of 2,000 people. This colonel in the Ministry of Justice gets up out of his seat and walks up front to, to the platform to the preacher, to the preacher, the speaker, and says, "Yes, I need the power to change. Please pray for me." Can you imagine? I mean, if, if I had been there, I think I would have been yeah. crying. Yeah, been powerful. Yeah, and uh, and there were four such examples uh, in that city alone. Uh, there's just there would be so many. I mean, uh, if we just went down the line. So when you do a campaign like that, is it is it? Hundreds of phone calls, thousands of thousands, phone calls, thousands, thousands. Of phone we're calls. talking about, we're talking about uh, up to fifteen, twenty thousand telephone calls uh, per city, uh, depending on the size of the city. When you left Canada many, many years ago and set out on your journey, could you ever have imagined how God would use you and call you into service? When I was uh, when I was a fifteen-year-old boy, for the first time, I did experience the call of God in my life. I would never, in all my born days, as they say would ever have believed that uh, the Lord would send me to Russia. I would learn the Russian language. I never spoke a word of it at that time until I was 20. Uh, to, to learn the Russian language to the point where I would be actually preaching the gospel on national television in Russia and on radio, that has happened. It's been something that I would never have believed would ever happen. But uh, it takes God to do things like that. Led me out, out of uh, Canada from the West Coast, from Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, you know, I was a wild young guy in my teens and God had a different plan for my life, turned me around and he sent me to a place that he had prepared. And uh, it's been just the, the adventure of a lifetime serving him uh, in, in bringing the gospel to these people in these nations. I don't think you would have changed a thing, would you? I wouldn't give up a day in my life. It's very exciting to hear Hanu Hauka talk about how God is moving in the hearts of people, not just in the countries of the former Soviet Union, but in other hard-to-reach places as well. Our conversation took place at the ACB Media Forum in Moscow, but I was also there to encourage the broadcasters of Far East Broadcasting Company and to meet with my friends at Russian Ministries, and you'll be hearing more about those ministries on future first-person programs. Please visit us online at firstpersoninterview.com for links to additional information. There's also a schedule of upcoming programs and a complete archive of interviews you can listen to at your convenience. Again, firstpersoninterview.com. And then don't forget about our Facebook page. That's where you can leave a comment about what you hear. You can interact with other listeners and learn the latest news about First Person, all at facebook.com forward slash firstpersoninterview. Next week, our guest will be Bill Blount. Bill will tell some of his experiences of traveling around the world for various ministries, and he'll also tell his father's powerful testimony of having wealth without spiritual happiness before Christ. That's next week. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next time, right here for First Person. First Person.